And welcome back to the Five Spot. I'm your host, Donovan McNabb, joined with Armando Segura. And we're going to dive right into the Monday night uh, shellacking, so to speak, uh, from the Giants and the Seattle Seahawks. Everything that I was expecting from the Seattle Seahawks, I seen last night. Uh, running the football with Kenneth Walker. Geno Smith being efficient, even though uh, he suffered an injury. Uh, defense applying pressure to a struggling offense from the New York Giants. To me, when I watch this game, uh, it starts with Geno Smith. Geno Smith coming back to New York where uh, he was drafted to the Jets, but being in, in the stadium in which uh, you know he played with the Giants, played with the Jets, uh, and played with other couple teams, this was his get-back game. Uh, and the way that things started early on was a little bit sloppy, uh, but as things continued on, Geno began to get efficient, 13-20 uh, to 20 passing, uh, getting one touchdown to D.K. Metcalf on a nice kind of no-look uh, throw uh, in the right corner. Uh, and defensively, I was impressed by what I seen uh, from their secondary for the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, Witherspoon uh, and, you know, guys applying pressure on the opposing receivers. We're getting pressure up front from the def defensive line, uh, which all night just kind of confused Daniel Jones. And I think at this particular point, there's a lot of questions going on right now in New York, uh, starting with their head coach and Ryan Dable. Uh, and, and what direction they're going to go from this point on. Armando, to me, when I look at this particular game, it was a telling tale because the Giants have been on prime time so many times, and they failed on prime time so many times. Do you see things changing, not from the quarterback position right now, but do you th see these changing maybe from a play-calling standpoint with, with Kafka? Yeah, uh, look – the, the Giants are broken and and in a lot of places, right? Right. Uh, right? And you're right. Play calling, not great. There was a moment last night, it was third and 11. Right. And they wanted to pass the football and the Giants ended up running the football. And Brian Dayball after the game was talking about it was a miscommunication. Uh, we sent in one play and Daniel Jones ran another. And I'm thinking, well, so you have you you have fundamental problems in that you cannot get the play call into the play caller. So that's that's an issue right there. Third and eleven, tr uh, you know, game setting, game trend setting play, and right. you run the ball. So there is that. B but Donovan, I, I mean, you mentioned Geno Smith, dude. That is a journey that this guy's been on. And I think yeah. the fact that he's out in Seattle, um, we kind of let that, you know, go. At least I let that kind of go over my head. He's out of sight, out of mind, because I'm way right. over here and he's way over there in the country. The dude has at 32 years old, suddenly he's really good. Reemerging. A, a friend, you know, a franchise they paid a franchise quarterback. How right. does that happen? You know, I, I look at a sense and sometimes timing is everything. And when Gino went to, to the Jets, um, it was a rough situation because every everything was on his shoulders. Uh, and, and, you know, being with Rex Ryan and being more of a defensive-minded guy, he was looking for Gino to come in and create some splash plays on offense, which offensively, they didn't really have – the weaponry that the, you definitely need at this, today's time to to be that that superb passing offense. And I think what, what Rex was trying to do is he was trying to create that ground and pound 
kind of mentality. Uh, and it just wasn't there yet. Uh, and he just kind of suffered through a couple years of, of just everyone blaming and pointing the finger at Geno. And at that point, he kind of moved on with a few other teams as the backup. And I think what, what he learned in his journey was the fact that I just have to continue to stay ready. Uh, I have to put my ego to the side, uh, knowing that it's a privilege to be in the NFL. Uh, in that particular point, I think when he ended up in Seattle, because I think he, he was in uh, San Diego at that time, backing up Phillip Rivers before yeah. they moved to L.A., uh, and going to Seattle where you know he got a chance to learn how to be a professional uh, under Russell Wilson. Uh, Pete Carroll still showed faith in him, even though that he was the backup. He played a couple times when Russell was hurt and played fairly well. And I think when they decided to make that trade, and they remember they brought over Drew Locke to be the starting quarterback, and he completely beat out Drew Locke through the training camp, through preseason. And when they gave Geno the job, everyone in the NFL world was, was kind of questioning Pete Carroll of, what are you doing? Geno's not a starting quarterback in this league. And I've said it during that trade, Drew Locke wasn't going to survive. And we seen him a little bit last night, and you wonder why. That's why. <laughs> Uh, so Gino was rewarded the job fairly, and he's taken it by storm. So that's where I see Gino, and he's continued to emerge. And I put him in the MVP voting, I think, for the next couple weeks to see how it goes. But I think his name's going to be in that top five at the end. And on the other side, you know, so both of those quarterbacks last night stood in front of a turnstile. Right. And what I mean by that is those two offensive lines – uh, the Seahawks offensive line, they had their starting center playing guard and right. everybody else was a backup. The Giants offensive line, three of the five starters were missing. Right. Geno Smith made it look okay and they ran the ball. <laughs> Daniel Jones made it look like he was uh, an episode of the Three Stooges where he's going, whoop, 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 whoop. Um, you like that? You like that? <laughs> now, remember, some of our listeners, they don't, and our viewers may not know who the Three Stooges are. Google it. <laughs> youth. Youth Molary is wasted on the young. Yeah. How can you not know Three Molary Stooges? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the, the point being that the coaching, it worked with right. that offensive line in Chicago. And by the way, Dexter Lawrence, dude, you got paid a lot of money. You've got to make backup offensive linemen look bad. Right. And with the Giants, it was like he, they couldn't do anything. And Daniel Jones, I, he's broken. I mean, I think he's broken. He's broken. That's that's all I can say about that. You, you know, the tough part is, you know, everyone's going to kind of go to the contract and everyone's going to go to how much they paid him. Uh, and uh, I understand the conversation, but I won't go there because there are a lot of quarterbacks right now who – are in that upper echelon as far as how much they're getting paid, are struggling right now. I look at it in the sense that they went out and got Hyatt. Uh, Hodgins, Hodgins is there. Uh, Darren Waller they traded for. Um, you know, obviously the whole turmoil with Saquon Barkley, I think took a toll on this offense because he's such a major part of this offense and this franchise. Those The, the players were upset of how they were handling the Saquon Barkley deal during during the offseason, a little bit during training camp. Uh, and offensively, I just think, to me, they're a little out of sorts. And maybe it's too much on the shoulders of Mike Kafka as the offensive coordinator. Uh, 
Uh, maybe it's too much weight carried on the shoulders of the whole offensive staff and Dable uh, because this isn't last year. Last year, you squeaked through the playoffs and got a playoff win versus Minnesota and Kirk Cousins. So everyone glorified of things coming into this season. But you didn't knock the doors off by by the stats or you didn't knock the doors off by Ryan, by your quarterback throwing for 4,500, 4, 5,000 yards. You squeaked through. And so I think what we're seeing is we're seeing what the actual team is now and what they're going to have to do possibly trade deadline to try to improve because this isn't getting better. So I'm going to say something controversial, which is going to sound stupid because controversial things often sound stupid. There's nothing worse than a head coach raising a team that shouldn't be there and isn't that good raising it to playoff levels in his first year. And it happens a lot because I've right. seen it a lot. And, and then the expectations in his second year are like through the roof. You've got to do better than you did last year. And the team remembers, Hey, we kind of still suck. We're not complete. (laughs) Uh, You know, we're, we're, we're an incomplete team. Right. I would say to you, and here's the controversial part. It would be good for the giants overall in the grand scheme of things to be really bad this year. And the reason I say that is Brian, (laughs) Brian Dayball, he's got a reservoir of goodwill for what he did his first year. He can handle, he can survive a bad second year. The Giants, they can get all these like top five talent if they're really bad this year. And next year they come stronger than ever before. Go ahead. Tell me how stupid I am. Yeah, that was that was pretty bad, Armando. Uh, that was pretty bad because I knew you were gonna go in that direction, and that's the conversation in Chicago uh, of maybe they should just kind of you know just kind of throw the season away to try to get Caleb and Marvin Harrison Jr. It's too early in the season for that, and I think at this particular point, when I look at the New York Giants, I see them being a six game, six win season. I see this being a six and six and eleven year, um, struggling in the NFC East. I think they may knock off like maybe a, a Washington Commanders team, or they may the second game around may play the Dallas Cowboys a little tougher. Maybe still still two or three wins in the NFC East, but I don't see this being more than a six win season. And I don't I don't think that Dabo is I don't think he's built that way. And a lot of it is going to just happen, but I don't think he's built that way, nor are the players want to go through that because half of them will probably be gone if that does happen. And so you can't, you can't kind of approach it that way. It may be the result, but I don't, and to be honest, I have to literally look up, you know, how many picks they have kind of coming in the next, next two years, as far as first, second, and third round is concerned, especially for what they paid for, you know, for uh, Daniel Jones and then traded, you know, for Dan Waller. So we'll see. And I, to me, it's just it's so much of a disappointment that they're not the only team in, in the league that's been disappointing. I mean, the, the Denver Broncos have been disappointing and the Cincinnati Bengals in my eyes have been a disappointment. It'd be different, I'm sure, probably for you, but I'm going to start with the Denver Broncos. And that's mainly because of the conversation uh, that Sean Payton led us to, which is good. 
team talk, but it's not good media talk. When you talk about the previous coaches, the regime, and all that stuff, and then your defense looks the way it's been. Their defense has been awful. I mean, they're 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 giving up 287 yards per game, you know, per game. Third down efficiency is almost 50%. Uh, only two interceptions so far uh, and not creating any turnovers. And then 32 minutes of time of possession each game. And so now we look at Russell and it's like, well, well, Russell last year, you know, he stunk up the place. And it's like, oh, Russell's actually playing very well this season. And so uh, I look at the Denver Broncos in my eyes and then the Cincinnati Bengals, when you look at the wide receiving core that they have with Higgins, with Boyd, uh, with Chase, and they're not getting the football. And then Joe Burrow, we talk about his injury and the calf injury where he's he looks like he's afraid to scramble. Uh, and that's the recipe for disaster. So I think they both missed the playoffs at this particular point. And it's, it's only going to go downhill for the both of them, Armando. Yeah, and obviously we're at the quarter pole of, of the season now, four games in, uh, quarter pole. Of course, quarter of four games is 16, and they play 17. <laughs> yeah, but I was good. Whatever, man. I'm, I'm not here to do math, okay? So, <laughs> so <laughs> math, bad. Writer, <laughs> words. Um, <laughs> right? So to me, the biggest disappointment, it's two things. Number one, huge disappointment, Chicago Bears and their coach, Matt Eberflus. Um, the Bears loaded up on talent this year, and you hear GM Ryan Poles talk about them. He said, he has said his words, we have everything we need on this roster to be a good team. And then I look up, and they're a bad team. They're yeah. they're winless. Yeah. yeah. And and oh look, they just blew a a twenty eight to seven or twenty eight to three lead against the also previously winless Denver Broncos. That's that's you're bad if that's happening, <laughs> and, and and you're really bad when your coach doesn't have a clue. And Matt Eberflus, he may be a good defensive coach, but he wasn't their aware. Thinks. Their defense thinks. Yeah. And, okay, I was giving him something that maybe he doesn't deserve. No, let's, let's just go all in, Armando. Let's go. Okay, he's bad on everything. And, and, and the thing is, he doesn't have an idea of how to approach things. He, right. The Chase Claypool saga, uh, reporters after the game asking him, what is why is Chase Claypool not here? Right. Well, he 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 stayed home. Did you tell him to stay home? No. The team later has to correct the coach. Yes, we did tell him to stay home. Is he going to be here this week? Yes. The next day, the team says he's not going to be here next week. Is it like Matt Eberflus doesn't get memos, or or what's going on? Is he on making there? a decision? That's the thing. Is is he making the decision? at this particular point, because just those two questions alone are critical when it comes to you're missing one of your wide receivers that can help your offense. And you, are you trying to hide something or did you really not even know that he wasn't there or did someone else like the GM tell him, just stay home. We don't need you. And you don't even know like that. That's confusing to me. But again, when you have rookie coaches, 
it's a lot of weight on their shoulders. And you talk defensive-minded, coach. Your defense is awful. From the last the last two years, and you can talk about it wasn't my guys that I have fully in here and I work to get my guys. But I'm looking at some of the faces on that defense, and there's some talented players on that defense. But there are people wide open uh, in the game. And I'm like, where's the corner? Where's the safety? Where's the pressure? I, I just think for a defensive-minded coach, I expect a little bit more. Just like we see offensive-minded coaches. We just talked about uh, Dave O in New York. You're an offensive-minded coach, and your offense is awful. So that's where it starts. It starts with that head coach because that's your expertise, correct? Absolutely. Now, you want to know who's a bigger disappointment than Give him? Me. Give it to me. Bill Belichick. Oh, you went there. Go ahead. Give it to me. Why? <laughs> It's just he. I mean, the Dallas Cowboys, fresh off of a terrible loss to the Arizona Cardinals, brought Bill Belichick to Dallas to Fort right. Worth and put Bill Belichick over their knee and started <laughs> spanking him. That was the worst loss in the Bill Belichick era, right? Uh, and now you start to wonder. Is Bill Belichick going to be the head coach of the New England Patriots after this season? If that team finishes last, like they might, if that team doesn't play well, like they're supposed to, right. if Mac Jones once again, doesn't get developed for the second year in a row, if the defense isn't that good and now it's injured, what is Bill Belichick bringing? And this goes all the way back to 2020. 2020, 2020, <laughs> the year 2020, 2020, when Bill Belichick decides Tom Brady is too old, let's let Tom go. And Tom let go, goes somewhere else and wins a Super Bowl. And Belichick is under 500 ever since Tom Brady left. Well, you know what's funny, Armando? That that quarterback class, as we just mentioned, you know a little bit uh, about the Chicago Bears. That 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 class, the quarterbacks with Mac Jones, they're all struggling. And so remember, it was a fight to figure out who was going to be the first quarterback taken, who's going to be here. Because remember, the San Francisco 49ers were heavy at Mac Jones's pro days, and so were the New England Patriots. And so. It kind of takes me back to remember when Tim Tebow came out and Josh McDaniels drafted Tim Tebow in the first round. Guess who said who came out publicly and said they were looking and really interested in possibly drafting Tim Tebow. Uh, and that's what led to Josh McDaniels taking them so early so that they wouldn't. That was Bill Belichick. So Mac Jones, remember, it was conversation of trading all those picks from San Fran to move up to get Mac Jones. From San Fran. And who decided to take him? That would be New England Patriots. So for me, the development of Mac Jones, I thought, has been halted because last year they did not have an offensive coordinator. They did not have a quarterback coach that was working with Mac Jones. They had Matt Patricia. They had Matt Patricia and a special teams coach that was there calling plays last year. And so now you've kind of put a hindrance on his progress. And then now this year... 
you go get a coach that struggled a little bit in Houston, then goes back to the college ranks and and gets under the godfather uh, in Alabama and Nick Saban, because it seems like every coach that struggles goes and coach with Nick Saban so that they can get back on the market. And then you bring Bill O'Brien back to New England, which everything that I'm seeing, Mac Jones looks confused. So I just think the struggles for New England are much deeper than just looking at Bill Belichick. I think one is the decision-making of Bill Belichick. To me, it's the preparation from Bill Belichick, which we have never talked about. Uh, and then the whole offensive staff, because defensive-wise, I thought they were doing a fairly decent job on defense until now they've lost two of their main main players in Judah and uh, the young corner that they have. So Christian we'll see Gonzalez. how it goes from that point. Yeah, Gonzalez. So we'll see how things kind of change from that, that team standpoint, because to me, defensively, was what who was carrying the weight on that whole whole team. So do you judge Bill Belichick? You know, it's a what have you done for me? It's a Janet Jackson league. True. What have you done for me lately? Right. Um, I'm showing my age again. Uh, I'm with you because I was about to start. I thought you were going to go with control, but then you went with that one. So <laughs> Okay. All right. So do you judge Bill Belichick on – if you're the owner, if you're Robert Kraft and you make cheese, um, do you do you judge him on what you're seeing now? Or do you hold fast after the season and go, I can't move on a guy that's brought me six Super Bowls. I can't do anything. He's not been good since 2020. Right. I can't do anything about it until he decides to go somewhere else. Well, I think there's going to be a big meeting. There's going to be a big meeting at the end of all this, however it turns out. I don't think they finished last um, in the East. I, I think uh, that's going to be the Jets. And so at least that gives them a little bit of grace period, if finishing third behind the Dolphins and, and behind uh, the Buffalo Bills. So I still think they're, I think they're more of a 7-8 win season type for New England, which at this particular point, if they, they still two, and maybe get nine, possibly ten, they find themselves in that hunt to slide in. But I think more importantly, this conversation with, with Robert Kraft and, and Bill Belichick will be, okay, like you're on the hot seat. It's the first time I've ever told you this, but we have to figure it out now or some changes got to be made. And that's that's rewarding a guy that's won you Super Bowls over the years and the decisions that he's made in the last two and a half, three years maybe. Um will kind of go a different direction. I think they'll be looking to trade Mac Jones uh, after this season. Uh, so I, I just think this will be a conversation between the two to try to fix things. But let's go to some happier times. And okay. um, the the things that, that kind of, I would say, bring joy to where we are in the NFL, and this is kind of where we look forward to on Sundays and Thursdays and Mondays, how about the Detroit Lions? The Detroit Lions, to me, have been a surprise team because we expected it, but we were really hesitant to see if they could do it. And Campbell has brought an attitude. He's brought an approach, a mentality. Uh, Glenn has brought some type of tenacity to their defense, being a defensive coordinator. And Jared Goff looks like the Jared Goff after being the first pick of the draft that we expected him to be. In L.A., 70% completion percentage, over 1,000 yards passing, 
only three interceptions with six touchdowns. But more importantly, when I look at this this offense, they're pretty balanced. Uh, 393 yards per game. Um, they're running the football at least a little bit with Montgomery. And then working Gibbs in there, who's, I think, one of the – he reminds me of LaDainian Thomason. Um, I think he can be that splash back that catches the ball out of the backfield, picks up those explosive plays in the running game, uh, and create create the surprise plays that I think that Detroit likes to do. Those, hey, I'm going to throw it to the quarterback, throw it back to the running back, now all of a sudden he picks up 75 for a touchdown. But that defense has been nasty. And we can talk about their, their defensive line because they apply pressure on opposing quarterbacks. I mean, for what I've seen so far, they've only given up 219 yards passing per game uh, with 60 yards on the ground. Now, when you're talking about running the football, it's not going to happen versus Detroit. And that's what impresses me so far uh, about the Detroit Lions. I got one more team, but I'm going to let you go, and I'm going to add them to the mix of my surprise team. Um, okay, so the the happy story for me uh, at the quarter pole is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Ooh. and Baker Mayfield. Oh, I thought ba- I was told Baker Mayfield's a bust. That's what I was told. Uh, everybody's told me he's a bust. He's the first overall pick and he's a bust. Well, guess what? The bust, quote unquote, is the number eight rated quarterback in the NFL right now with right. a rating over a hundred and the Tampa Bay Bucks are three and one and leading their division. And they just beat the new Orleans saints who used to give Tom Brady fits and right. don't apparently give Baker Mayfield fits. I mean, Todd Bowles, God bless you, brother. Thank you so much for being <laughs> good again. Thank you. Cause I was told Todd Bowles, is is on the hot seat and right. he's he's taken a big crap on that seat and decided no i'm throwing this crap filled seat out of the house and i am it's a throne right now for him that hot seat so to me they have a very solid defense their offensive line woes of a year ago not perfect but still right. much better they have talent at wide receiver. They have a solid, not great, but solid running game. And Baker Mayfield isn't playing like he's played, uh, you know, the, the at the end at Cleveland. He's not playing like he played with the Panthers. Right. He's he's more than functional. Well, you know what? Hopefully he, he did throw that, that crappy seat out because that might stink a little later. Uh- <laughs> But you know what Baker Mayfield reminds me of? Geno Smith. Being in different destinations and waiting his opportunity and then competing hard for that spot. And when he was now given that spot after a few few locations, he's starting to flourish a little bit. Now he does have receivers in Godwin. Uh, I would like to see a little bit more out of Mike Evans. Mike Evans looked a little slow uh, out there on the football field right now. And I know he was trying to get a new contract. Um, but I'm I'm surprised with the way they're playing as well. Another team that I'm looking at, and you talked about where he is statistically. How about C.J. Stroud? And this is a guy that's a rookie. And with the Houston Texans, and shot, big shout-out to D'Amico Ryan because he's showing that for African-American head coach, young guy, that people kind of put the expectations on because of what he was able to accomplish in San Francisco. They were thinking of what we've seen from Ryan uh, Sala out there 
Robert Sala in, in San Fran and him getting the job with the Jets, that maybe it was the players, it wasn't the coach. Uh, well, D'Amico Ryan now has, has drafted a bunch of young guys and got them to buy into the aggressive approach. Anderson is a beast from the defensive end position. He may be the next Micah Parsons. And, and I look at C.J. Stroud in a way because – for a rookie to come in, you usually see half of the field. And you're reading things out, and, and as things begin to open up, it's almost like a breath of fresh air. Hey, play action, eliminate one, go to two, move up in the pocket, boom, hit your check down. Next play, you come back, you see the blitz, get the ball out high, completion. You're seeing the ball be completed, so that helps your confidence. This young man is completing 62% of his passes with six touchdown passes, zero turnovers. How many times can we say for most quarterbacks in the league in their first, second, maybe even third year in the league to start the season out with zero turnovers for a team that no one expected to do anything this season? And I was so impressed by the way he's he's been throwing the football from the pocket. I had said it in the draft. I thought he was the best pocket passer coming out in this last year's draft. I love Bryson. Don't get me wrong. He was a total package. But the thing that stood out to me because everyone questioned about C.J. Stroud was his mobility. He's third on the team in rushing right now. Only 14 carries for 51 yards, but that kind of answers and checks off the box if he's mobile. And so he's playing with, I would just want to say, Schultz is the, probably the biggest name on offense from tight, the tight end from Dallas because the rest of his receivers are not big names, and he has over – 1,200 yards passing. So I'm impressed with D'Amico Ryans and, and this football team out in Houston. You know who deserves a statue being built outside NRG Stadium where the Houston Texans play? Is uh, I'm going to throw a name at you. You're going to be surprised. Lovey Smith. And yeah. why, why, why does Lovey Smith deserve a statue Father, outside? Hey, old man Houston. winner with the gray beard. I love Dude. it. Father Time. He looks like <laughs> freaking Father Time. It's like, but having said that, so last year in his first and last year right. as the head coach of the Houston Texans, Lovey Smith's team beat somebody. I, I forget who it was. 32 to 31 in the final game of the season. And right. that victory, meaningless though it seemed, meant that the Houston Texans no longer had the number one overall pick in the draft, but rather the second overall pick in the draft. Right. And so right. that gave, you know, the Chicago Bears the top pick, and they traded it to Carolina, right. and Carolina picked Bryce Young. Bryce well, Young. that win is the reason that the Houston Texans have C.J. Stroud, who happens to be right now, as you have very well um, described, the best rookie quarterback in the class so far. Right. Uh, thank you, Lovey. Appreciate you, man. He took a lot of crap. He took a uh, lot of heat. Year. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And yet, and obviously, he didn't plan this. I get it. Right. Uh, he just, it just worked out that way. But, man, they talk about, uh, you know, things working out on your behalf so far. And I like C.J. Stroud's demeanor. Yes. Uh, that kid, he's got some, the it yes. thing, right? 
Yeah. I mean, you could tell when you see the it thing in a quarterback. You know, it's funny because uh, the things that, that people don't understand about quarterbacks and, and playing a position, it's much more than just being out on the field. It's being respected by your players, um, doing things that, that uh, are kind of unexpected. This young man invites his offense over to his house. Now, give or take, this young man is 20, 22 years old, possibly, uh, 22, 23 years old, if that, uh, invites his offense or skill guys over to the house to have dinner, to go over the game plan, to prepare, be all on the same page. Now, give or take, he's not married, he's single. Uh, he just got his house in Houston. I don't know if he has a chef or not, so I'm sure it's either food going to be catered or he has someone there cooking for him. And he invites them over, which the team comes over, and this is a, a weekly thing. So now what we see on, on the field is the chemistry, the bond, the trust that their quarterback is well-prepared and going to lead them to victory. And his press conference, his answers at his press conference come off as if he's been in the league for over six or seven years. And I'm so impressed by the way he carries himself. I'm so impressed by the way he stands up and he talks to the media. His chin is high. He's talking with confidence. And he, the thing that stood out to me in his press conference when he said, I know that our fans have come here to watch something special, to basically to see something that – that they want to cheer for, and we're going to give it to them. And I'm going to make sure that we continue to give them that every opportunity we have. That right there is somebody that I think we need to really focus on because he's the grown man in the room right now. He is the grown man in the room, and I'm really impressed by the way he carries himself. And fans are connecting with him in Houston because he also said, I think, you know, I'm also a fan. I was, I'm a fan of the Lakers, and when they lose – it, it, it hurts me, and I don't want our fans to feel that way about us. If I'm a Houston Texans fan, I'm thinking my quarterback understands how I feel. True. He knows how I feel on Sunday night if they lay an egg. So I, I think that that kind of connects him to the community a little bit. And, right. you know, at least the fandom, not necessarily the community, but the fandom uh, he he gets it, man. It, it's great. So who who are your? Where are we going from here? Who's who's going up? Who's ascending? You think? Uh, I, although they uh, suffered a loss last week, I'm gonna say the Miami Dolphins are ascending because I think I look at their schedule, uh, and this is perfect opportunity for them to bounce back. And people are gonna talk about them getting the seventy point seventy uh, points, and then also now struggling. Um, you know, in Buffalo, so to speak. I think this is a perfect opportunity for them going forward. And I think in the NFC, uh, I look at the Philadelphia Eagles taking that extra, extra step. To win a game like they did versus the Commanders, uh, and shout out to to Eric Bieniemy of just having his team prepared. But I think this is now the time where you start to see the Philadelphia Eagles start to climb because of what they what we've seen this past weekend in their passing game. Not the running game, because remember, the last couple of weeks, DeAndre Swift, uh, Gainwell, those guys are picking up big yards from in the running game. But from the passing game, what we've seen with A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, uh, Guider, all those guys, I think they're going to now start to climb. So keep an eye on those two particular teams. How about you? 
So this this is going to sound strange because I think he's already on the national scene, but I, I just like I just like Purdy out in in San Francisco. I mean, we don't recognize the fact that he's only started like nine games in the regular season. Uh, been undefeated, he is, right? Right. He undefeated. yeah, nine and zero. Oh. Yeah. yeah, and and and. Like I was talking to an NFL personnel guy last week and I said, what do you think of Purdy? Uh, and he said, well, he's a game manager. Yes. And that kind of took me aback because dang, <laughs> you know, uh, okay. So he's a game manager, but he's got a, he, he leads the NFL right now, Donovan, with a quarterback rating of 115.1. That's your game manager. Uh, you know, last week he was 20 of 21. Yeah. I mean, he couldn't miss 20 of 21, 283 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. Uh, for a game manager, give me that game manager. And I think it's going to get better because he's young. He's a kid. He doesn't know what he doesn't know. And I, I and he's surrounded by great players. Yeah. I just, I, I love the kid. I just love him. So, so just last question. Game manager, let me just start where game manager is not a bad thing. Now, check down Charlie is a bad thing. But game manager, because he's efficient. He's reading out the defense and doing what the coach expects him to do. Uh, he's protecting the football and putting it to, in the ball in the hands of his playmakers outside. That's a game manager. That's what a quarterback, successful quarterback is. In today's game, uh, you're not you're not asking him to win the game. You're basically asking him not to lose the game, and that's where Brock Purdy has been. And he's the same type of quarterback that Kyle Shanahan loves, and that's why he has him out there over Trey Lance and over Sam Darnold because he can do that. And so I, I look at it in a sense for where the NFL is right now overall. We could talk Brock Purdy, and Brock Purdy was Mr. Irrelevant. He wasn't a first-round pick or the first pick in the draft. He's doing what he's supposed to do. Uh, you look at uh, Tua Tagovailoa, uh, what he's doing in the second year of that offense under Mike, Mike McDaniel's. It's been quite impressive. Yes, they kind of hit a little bump in Buffalo, which was expected because Buffalo has dominated the Miami Dolphins uh, over the years, especially playing out there at Orchard Park. Um, and so I look at teams like that. Then I look at the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, of what they've been doing. They've been fairly healthy so far, even though that they've suffered a few injuries with the guys that are coming back and they're right now undefeated, rightfully so. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys have bounced back, uh, from their loss in Arizona. So I think overall, there's some excitement of where we are in the NFL. And I look forward to talking more about it. Check us here at the five spot as we break things down of why teams look so bad and why they look great. Check us again here on Friday at the five spot.